let the truth get in the way of a good story. Think about that one for a moment. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. In other words, all throughout time, people have told good stories, but maybe they didn't have all of the truth to them. They did a little bit of what we call embellishing, right? Maybe giving them a little oomph to make them sound better or more exciting or more tense-filled. Like, for instance, maybe some of you have done this. Maybe you haven't, but you go fishing, right? And at the end of the day, your fish that you caught was like this big. But when you tell your friends, it's like, right? It's like this big. Yeah, and it wasn't just a just, it was a fight to get that fish in the boat, and you were fighting it, right? You just, you kind of added to the story. Make it more exciting so they, they would pay better attention. Or maybe you went shopping, and you found this, this outfit, and you got 10% off, right? But what's, what's 10%? That's not a great story. So you go and tell your friends that you got 50, 60% off, and there was only one of them left, and you had to fight people away, and you were pushing, and you were shoving, and you got it, right? That's, that's a more exciting story. Now, what I call that is I call that giving the story the treatment, right? Little addition, little embellishment, just to make it more interesting. Now, I share that with you because I believe that over time, the story of Christmas has gotten the treatment. Let me explain. Maybe you've heard this story before. The story that a lot of people tell is that there was this couple, Mary and Joseph, and, and Mary was really pregnant. I mean, she was just about to give birth. And so they were called by a census to go to Bethlehem. So Joseph took her and plopped the very pregnant Mary on top of a donkey and went 80 miles to Bethlehem. And maybe she broke her water. Maybe she didn't. Poor donkey, right? I don't know. But... But Joseph is frantically searching in Bethlehem for a place to stay because he knows his wife is about to give birth. I mean, she's right there. And, and depending on who tells the story, they go to a whole bunch of different inns or they go to one inn. But either way, they go to this inn and Joseph knocks on the door and he's like, please, 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 my wife's about to give birth. Let us in. Let us have a place to stay. But who answers the door? The innkeeper. That's right. That no good bum. And he comes out and he looks and he looks at the pregnant Mary. And does he care? Does he have compassion? No. He looks right at Joseph and says, no in for you. Right? There's no room for you. Away from me. And then he thinks, wait a minute. I can make some money off these people. You can have my barn. But that's it. And so poor Mary and Joseph go to this barn and the baby Jesus is born. But that innkeeper, what a bad guy he is, right? I mean, that's what the reputation is. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, we watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year. Do you watch that? Yeah. Yeah, we can amen Charlie Brown. That's all right. It works. Um, that was the first. So, um, but did you ever notice who plays the innkeeper? Who plays the innkeeper? Pigpen plays the innkeeper. So even Charles Schultz is sticking it to the innkeeper, right? How poetic. Uh, pig pen, you play the innkeeper, right? Now, there's only one problem with this story. And the problem is, there was no innkeeper. Folks, there never was an innkeeper. There is no innkeeper. In fact, look, for, look it up yourself. Luke chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 20, we never, ever, ever read about an innkeeper. It's not, he's not there. Now, what confuses people and what's confused me in the past is verse 7. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So that word inn has really tripped a lot of people up because they assume, well, okay, it's an inn, and it's an inn the way we think of an inn, so there must have been an innkeeper who said no guest room, right? No. In fact, the actual word used here, the Greek word is up here on the screen. It's kataluma. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. That's how you spell it. But it actually means guest room. So there was no room in the guest room. Now this changes things. And what the more recent commentaries are saying is this. This is what really probably happened. First and foremost, Mary was not about to give birth. Joseph would have not taken a very pregnant, about-to-give-birth, water-breaking woman and stuck her on a donkey. That was not going to happen. She was pregnant, no doubt about it. But when they got to Bethlehem, this was Joseph's hometown. So that meant his family was there. So more than likely... Joseph went to stay with his family. And when he got there, his family's home was really crowded because of the census. So there was no guest room, but there was room in the family's home. And so more than likely, they, put, they would put Mary and Joseph on the lower floor of the house, which is where they kept the animals. That's, more, that's what really happened. Now, why is this important? Well, because the Christmas story doesn't need to be embellished. It doesn't need to be given oomph. (laughs) It doesn't need to be dramatized because the power of the Christmas story is in the Christmas story itself, what we're given. Check it out. Luke chapter 2, we'll actually look at verses 11 and 14. First one, verse 11. This is where the power of the story is. Right in what's written. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, what makes these scriptures so powerful? Well, we have to go back. Back, back, back to the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, to really understand why we don't need the innkeeper and why the story is just perfectly powerful the way that it is. Now, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, we're going to read them. It describes what's called a sin offering. And what that meant was, back in the day, if you sinned, right, this is what you had to do to be forgiven. This is what you had to do to be made right with God. So Leviticus chapter 4, starting in 32. If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger And put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. And pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to 
the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. So this is what you had to do. Back in the day when you sinned, you had to make a sin offering. A lamb needed to be sacrificed. You were forgiven, and you were made right with God. Now think about that for a moment. Imagine having to have to do that whenever you sin. Now the good news is, is we don't have to do that, right? We don't have to do this because Jesus was born. And not only was he born to be the Savior of the world, but he was born to be the Lamb of God. And we see this affirmed in John chapter 1, verse 29. John 1, verse 29, we read this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we read these words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And that leads us back to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now that power here is in this line, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now the Greek word for peace is E-R-I-E-N-E, and it means inner peace or harmony. So folks, here's the deal. Christmas is perfect. The story of Christmas is powerful because Jesus was born. God became man. He was born to be the savior of the world. He was born to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb. So when you give your lives to Jesus, and when you ask him for forgiveness, you're forgiven. And your relationship with God is made right again, and you receive this inner peace, not only here on earth, but eventually someday when you die, you'll have peace for eternity. That's what the Christmas story is all about. We don't need an innkeeper, right? We don't need anything added to it. This is our bottom line. The story of Christmas doesn't need any help. It's perfectly powerful just the way it is. The story of Christmas doesn't need any help. It's perfectly powerful just the way it is. Now, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do this week. And in fact, you're going to get an opportunity in a few minutes uh, to do it this morning. Now, I don't want you to run home and go to your nativity scene and, and flick the innkeeper out of the way, right? If you've got an innkeeper, leave him, leave him where he is. But this is what I encourage you to do. Somehow, some way during this incredibly crazy week, I know a lot of you are busy. People are flying all over the place. If you don't believe me, just go to the Walmart parking lot, park your car, and watch the demolition derby that's taking place. <laughs> or if you want to have a lot of fun, go to Commercial Drive and try to get from Barnes Noble to Target. It'll take you like a day and a half. Pack a lunch. It's a long trip. Um, it's crazy, but what I want to encourage you to do is just kind of slow yourself down. Take a deep breath. 
and think about the story of Christmas. Maybe you want to take an animal. Maybe you've got like a pet cat or a dog and you just want to hold your, your pet and put your hand on its head. And think about the Christmas story. Think about what Jesus did for you. Think about the fact that, yeah, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but Jesus was really born so he could die, right? Think about that for a moment. And just thank God that you don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Thank God that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And when you ask for forgiveness, your sins are forgiven and you're made right with God. That's, that's huge. And you receive that inner peace. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have peace, there's no peace in your life, I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to show you if there's sin in your life. Because if there's sin in your life, that will steal your peace. That will steal your peace. So ask God to show you if there's sin in your life. And if there is, then you need to repent. And I'm saying the word repent for a reason. Repent has really two things going on here. First of all, repentance means, yes, to ask for forgiveness. But it means one more thing, very important. It means to turn away from your sin and go in the other direction. See, too many times we say, God, forgive us, but we stand right next to our sin and we keep ourselves there. We keep flirting with temptation, expecting us not to fall, but we fall again and again and again. So when you ask for forgiveness, you repent by going the other way and keeping that stuff away from you in the distance. Now, maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, Pastor Chris, no, I don't have peace, but there's no sin in my life. Well, let me ask you this question. And this is something that only you know. Is it possible you don't have peace because you've been spending so much time on all the added things of Christmas and not enough time on what Christmas is really about? Now, I've told you before that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the things that we've added. You know, we do some of the things ourselves, you know, the the Christmas tree and the decorations and the presents and the elf on the shelf and all that fun stuff is great. But when that stuff takes priority takes all of your time away from what Christmas really is all about, now that's where it can mess with your peace. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to show you a video. It's just a simple video. It's about a minute and a half, almost two minutes long. We're going to turn the lights down. Go ahead, Alan. You can turn them down a little bit now. But all I want you to do is just take some deep breaths, quiet your hearts, and just talk to God and make sure you have peace. Make sure you understand that the power of the Christmas story Right? I mean, is that it's, it is what it is. It's perfect. It's powerful. Doesn't need the innkeeper. What it needs is Jesus being our Savior. So let's just take a few moments to rest. Uh, try to put all those things you got to do aside and just let's focus on God for the next couple of minutes.
TV station was interviewing people that were Christmas shopping recently. I read this illustration recently. And uh, they interviewed a lady and they said, so can you tell us what the true meaning of Christmas is? And the lady kind of giggled because she didn't know. She goes, I don't know. She goes, "Um, but is it the day that Jesus died? And you know, it's like, you think about that and you you think, well, the poor lady doesn't know what Christmas is. And you think, huh. It kind of is the day that Jesus died for some people, right? Because for them, Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus. Don't become that person. Make sure you celebrate that Jesus was born to die. You know, we're teaching that to our kids down on the Ridge Kids. It's interesting. We just did the neighborhood, as I mentioned. At the end of the neighborhood, we handed out uh, uh, Christmas tree ornaments of the manger, and on the back was a sticker with the verse John three sixteen. right? For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. So whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We teach our kids at a very young age that Christmas is about Jesus being born so that he could die. It's not a thing that's morbid. It's something we celebrate. Something we celebrate. I hope you celebrate that this Christmas season. Let's stand together. We're going to close with prayer. 
But again, I just want to remind you that Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock, we'll be here. Our kids have a special nativity presentation. And again, when church is over, if you could clear these chairs, that would be great. And if you could go to the fellowship hall and eat all the food, that would be great. That way the kids could come in and, and practice. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, I want to begin by praying, Lord, and thanking you for this gift. Father, you're the story of you coming to earth. It's perfectly powerful. doesn't need any embellishment. But Father, we need to embrace it as the true story. So Father, help us not to allow all these added things to get in the way, but to put you first. And Father, I want to pray for anyone who's here today who doesn't have peace because they have sin in their lives. And Father, maybe it's a sin that they've been asking for forgiveness for repeatedly. But maybe, Lord, they've never actually repented. They never actually walked away from that sin, gotten rid of that temptation. So Father, I pray that they do that today and that you fill their lives with peace. Father, we pray ahead of time for next weekend for the cantata, for the choir, for our kids on Christmas Eve. We know, Lord, that uh, the last weekend before Christmas and then Christmas Eve, a lot of people will come that maybe don't come. And they need your hope. They need to hear the true Christmas story. So Father, we pray that that happens and you minister to them and work in their lives and that they'll give their lives to you and Christmas will become something different for them than it's been in the past. It'll become about you and not about stuff. So Father, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name today. Amen.